It's Dr. Stu's podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm here, as usual, with the best co-host in the business, the mysterious one. Hello. Midwife extraordinaire, Bliss Young. Thank you. And I'm doubly blessed you are. today because we I are. have the other best <laughs> midwife in the business, Beth Cannon, is here with us today. Hi, Beth. Hi. Thanks so, for having welcome, me. guys. We're happy to be back with all of you for podcast number one. Six zero. This is going to be like the the Beth and Bliss uh, social hour with Doctor yeah, Stu. You're outnumbered. I'm always outnumbered. <laughs> I've got backup. <laughs> I'm always outnumbered. So check you us out at DrStu'sPodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes and your podcast app, uh, Spotify, uh, what a Google Play, all those things. We're we're on them all. All of them. Ask Doctor Stu at gmail.com or birthingbliss at hotmail.com. Social media. I'm at birthing instincts. On Instagram, and Bliss is at Birthing Bliss Midwifery, and Beth is at Birthing Rhythm. Spell rhythm. R-H-Y-T-H-M. Yeah, by a vowel. Right. And you find us on Facebook, too. And apparently I have Twitter, but I don't use it, so don't go there. All right? My website's birthinginstincts.com, and Bliss's website is bliss.com, and Beth's website is? Birthingrhythm.com. Funny. Birthing, birthing, birthing. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? You know, I never really thought about that. That we all start with birthing. Well, that's <laughs> kind of what we're doing. Yeah, well, the first thing, yeah, that is true. <laughs> so, uh, the first thing I want to just do is I want to give so kudos weird. to Renee, uh, my administrative person, because I think in one of the podcasts recently I complained that we never, our logo was not picking up on, uh, on the podcast app, it was on iTunes. So, we've got a new logo I designed by that. Renee. Yay. It's gorgeous. With my favorite colors in it. <laughs> and it now works on the podcast app. Yay! So, some a, a listener sent me a, a message and said that it was up. I was like, I know I'm it's so, so great. So and, if, and if for any reason you still have the ugly microphone podcasting, then, then just delete it from your podcast app and then re up it and it'll reload. Talk. Yep, reload, mm-hmm. reload. So, how are you guys? Yeah, how are you, Beth? I'm doing good. Yeah, doing well. Just kind of in between storms of births mm. and appreciating the pause although i have been kind of on high alert for used to waiting for oh yeah those well twins that one's over that are <laughs> yeah we can talk about that in a second i just i just uh beth and i were just texting on the thing on the phone and i just said so what are you doing <laughs> and she said well i gotta pick my kids up from school and i said well you want to come to the podcast well I, first i think i asked you to the podcast and then you were able to rearrange some stuff and come and join us and uh it's fun it's just fun to have, be spontaneous it's I'm so happy to be here because I listen to you guys all the time. Oh, and, and it's so funny for me because I know you both so well. So <laughs> when I'm listening, I feel like I'm in the room and now I actually am. So that's Yay. that's happy. Yeah, Yay. and now it'll be odd when you listen because you'll hear yourself talking and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'll get to the twins in just a second. Okay. I just want to say something uh, strange that happened last night, which, of course, as everybody knows, will be two weeks ago <laughs> by the time this podcast airs. But I went to the Kings game and I took uh, Dr. Barry Brock with me as my oh, interesting. Uh, partner to go to the Kings game. Say more about who he is for people who... Well, Barry Brock is the one physician sort of left here in Southern California who does breach delivery in the hospital. Mm. He's out of Cedars. Yay, and thank you. And he took care of a client for us recently, um, somebody who was really sort of risked out of being a home birth breach. And he actually brought her in and induced her and got a vaginal delivery out of her. Yeah. So we were chatting about it and I just asked him if he wanted to go to the game. And he's Canadian. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he said, yeah. You know, yeah. He said, yeah, sure, you bet. 
he doesn't something act, like that. He doesn't actually talk like <laughs> no. that. No. <laughs> so three things happened to Barry Brock yesterday that that were rel- relatively unique at the Kings game. Hmm. First one is we won. Yeah. Oh, which is pretty awesome. rare. Okay. Congrats. Second is we sit on the end, sort of behind the glass and behind the netting. And Barry got hit by a puck yesterday. What? Is he okay? Yeah, it just hit him in the thigh and then and then some kid grabbed it. <laughs> so he didn't even get oh. it. You didn't even get the puck. <laughs> but I don't even know we don't even know how it how it got through the netting and then flicked out and you know, because it's like I've been sitting there for years yeah. and I've never seen a puck even come close. Wow. Oh my gosh. And then the other thing, we were walking around going to get some uh, sandwiches and we ran into Scott Serden, who happens to be a, an OB in, at Cedars. And three of us were all sort of there years ago. And it really, I mean, what's the odds of three gynecologists hanging out at a Kings game? <laughs> that sounds like a Between joke. periods. <laughs> you get the pun? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Hockey's a, hockey's a sport with periods, which is why three gynecologists like it. That, oh. That's so, funny. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I just thought it was pretty funny that, uh, that, that, that he got hit by a puck. Yeah. Right. And actually, and none of the ushers came down to see if he was okay. What? Yeah. Well, it just flicked. It, you know, but Even still. so, I guess it happens. Yeah. More and then often. he was pissed because he didn't get the puck. The little kid beat him to it. Well, it is a and little I kid. And I said, Barry, Barry you'd probably given it to the little kid anyway. And he said, no, I'd given it to my grandchid. Right. <laughs> right. So I said, oh, go buy one then. Just go buy go one. Go take it back. Just, just go buy one and, and <laughs> tell me if you got <laughs> hit by a puck. This is the one that hit yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so that's, that's, what, cool. that's what happened to the hockey game. So you were talking about the fact that you've been sitting there waiting on call for me for for a set of twins. And I, 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 I wanted to talk about twins. Are, twins are obviously in the news this week. Um, oh, I got another, I got another like four seconds of fame out of my 15 minutes. So now I'm down to 14 <laughs> minutes and 52 seconds left because <laughs> I had two seconds on Dancing with the Stars. Beth got more time on Dancing with the Stars than I did. I got like five seconds. Yeah. And you were there with Maddie's picture and my mom's needlepoint. I was. I know. So, and, and James is still in it. So right. that's good. Yeah, they're down to like, I don't even know how many people left. Do you know how many people left? Are you watching? I think there's, I don't know exactly, but it's at the, like the, the semifinals. Yeah. Yay, so. that's exciting. Go James, go. Go James. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so um, the, uh, actually, it's all over Facebook and, and uh, not even Facebook, it's, they don't even use Facebook. It's all over Instagram and the media, the press, uh, People Magazine. Uh, Bodie Miller, uh, famous um, gold medal downhill skier. And his wife, Morgan, uh, had twins at home. Um, this was their fourth and fifth babies. They've been a very public couple about their births and their history of loss. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very interesting because she went so fast that uh, Bodhi... And, well, the plan was for Bodhi always to catch the babies anyway, but not to do it, <laughs> not to do it with nobody, nobody there yet. So we were all on our way, and she went. So her whole labor was less than three hours. Wow. Awesome. And they live in Orange County. And I had just, oh, this was interesting too. I had just come back from New Jersey uh, where I spoke at the New Jersey Symposium on Physiologic Birth and uh, gave a talk on uh, Breach, The Other Way Babies Come Out. <laughs> but I really spent most of my time talking about um, what I call the trilogy of bias. And I'll get into that a little bit later. I'm sort of forecasting what we might get into today while we're talking. Uh, and so I landed at a little before 10 o'clock in the morning on Friday, on a Friday, and Dr. Chavira was leaving at 11.40 that same morning to go to Madison to the Breach Conference, which I wanted to go to, but we both can't be out of town at the same time. I was lucky to even have him covering me for the New Jersey Conference, because most of the time I have no coverage, as we've discussed yeah. in a recent podcast. Mm-hmm. I was, we were lamenting that our life is not our own. Um, 
And so I, I checked in with uh, Morgan Miller and said, can I go home and take a nap? And then, because she, she was 39 and a half weeks almost, and she just had had it. She wanted to be delivered. And she was walking around about five centimeters dilated, so not in labor. So she was going to do castor oil. And I said, can I go take a nap, and then can we do it later? Because it's, you know, it's Friday afternoon, and we want to work around the traffic and yeah. stuff like that. So I'll check in with you about noon or one o'clock when I wake up, and then maybe you can do it, and I'll head down you know, around that time. I'll beat the, tr I'll beat the afternoon traffic. So uh, I get a call, I get a text at 12.30. She says, how are you doing? And it's like, well, I was sleeping. <laughs> but, but she'd already taken the castor oil. Oh, wow. Oh, man. So uh, you know, I got in my car and I had to go back to the airport <laughs> because one of my suitcases that Milo had had, we, we transferred our stuff from one car to the other, but one thing got left in his car and I had to go get it. So I had to stop at the airport and then headed straight down. But it was already, what was it now, two o'clock? on a Friday afternoon. Um, yep. It took me more than two hours to get down there. And she, you know, she took the casserole around 12, 1230, and she delivered at 306, I think. So wow. she was she was okay with the fact that she might Well, that was the plan all along, yeah. Without, yeah, you. because even her midwife wasn't there on time, so. Mm. And her midwife lives in Orange County, so. What and is it? What, what is it with the with the ladies taking castor oil on a Friday afternoon? I had someone do that to me. And yeah. I was like, uh, we could have planned this better. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, she'd had it. She'd had it. And, you know, see informed, con it. See informed consent model. I get it. And, and they wanted, you know, this is what they wanted anyway. I mean, mm -hmm. they wanted to be sort of just them. Oh, with well, us. yeah. My client didn't. We have clients <laughs> like that. The Vanderbeeks are like that, too. So, mm -hmm. uh, But it would have been nice if we could have been downstairs on the couch or something. Right. When that happened. <laughs> but they came out, boom, boom, two minutes apart. Great. The babies were two minutes First apart? First one was in the call. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. So some great pictures. Um, she's obviously, she had photographers there. She's very, very uh, open about the whole thing. I'm, I'm so proud of her for for getting out there and, and willing to take some of the, obviously, the anti-home birth heat. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't give she doesn't give a crap. So, Good. Yeah, she shouldn't. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're great. Um, so those are the beautiful photographs that I saw posted. Yeah, yeah they're so good. They're so beautiful. Yeah, and I only post. I mean, I only posted. I think five or six mm -hmm. pictures. But, really beautiful. But though. they're really great pictures. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, shout out to McCall Miller. Uh, I don't know if she's. I don't know if she's like related to Bodie or if she's just got the same last name. But she doesn't has photography. She took these pictures. So if you're looking for a photographer down in Orange County, uh, McCall, uh, McCall Miller. And if you need her. Information, it's on my Instagram post, uh, but I also could get it f to you. So anybody that wants a one unbelievably good photographer. Yeah, um, they're beautiful. Kudos to McCall. And uh, the one that Beth talked about, I had another lady that was in Fallbrook, which is in, for those of you who don't know, that's in San Diego County, down in uh, down south of Pe Camp Pendleton, uh, sort of near Oceanside, California. And um, she was also due, she was due on November 1st. Um, Morgan, who I think was due on the 11th. And so she delivered on Friday. The 8th. The 8th, yeah. So, yeah, three days before uh, Veterans Day. I mean, uh, Veterans Day. Yeah, Veterans yeah, Day. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but Jennifer was due on the 1st. And so she, the 1st came, and then the 8th came. And then finally she got to 41 weeks and three days. And, we started, we were doing testing on her. The babies were fine. We thought they were about almost nine pounds and a little over seven wow. and over seven pounds for her two babies. 
But you know, she got to baby. she got to, we made a decision <laughs> that if she doesn't go into labor by such and such a date, <laughs> that you know we needed to decide to do something about that. And so today was the day. Was and there a reason why not forty two weeks or was well, there actually you know, some? It's, it's just everybody. I mean, again, she's mono die twins. Mm-hmm. It, it's we're going against the norm already. And I'm going to talk. I want to talk a little bit about. 38 weeks and why th- why people think that all twins should be delivered by 38 weeks, at least in the medical world, they think that. And once again, uh, I think they think in relative risk terms, not actual risk terms. So mm-hmm. I, wanna, I wanted to sort of go over that with people. But it was a point where she wasn't having any contractions at all. And I was getting to the point where if these babies are going to tolerate labor and if she's going to get a vaginal delivery out of it, something needs to happen sooner rather than later. Because the longer we wait, the more likely we are to get where... Uh, labor is not going to be tolerated by these babies. And for some reason, her uterus isn't contracted. This, I wanted to ask you guys. We've all had clients like this who just, they, they just don't go into labor. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? In the think, time that we Well, think, we think, about, think about the distension of her uterus. Mm-hmm. She has like 16 pounds of baby in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but my grandmother had, had her sixth and seventh and they were eight and nine pounds. So, you know. How many weeks did she go though? I actually don't know, and I can't ask oh, her. So unfortunately, yeah. I might well, be able what to I'm ask talking about is going with twins going to forty-one and five sevenths weeks is a is a long time. Well, I think we've had haven't we had a forty-one plus week? Yeah, twins. Uh-huh. But she was she went into labor. Um, yeah, I mean, this, she had no contractions. And she had an unfavorable cervix. Yeah, that's what you were saying on which Sunday. We were going to try to sweep her last weekend. She's mm-hmm. a first time mom. Mm-hmm. First time mom. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I you know, I think that we just don't know because we interfere so much. Do you know? Like, we just don't know. We, right, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. We but just uh, don't know. but also, you you reach a point where the all the the naysaying and negativity out there start. It does have an effect on you after a while, especially when you're like a solo. You're flapping in the breeze like like me, like I am, mm-hmm. <laughs> out there doing things that other people would never do. Not even in the hospital will they do them, mm-hmm. which of course isn't necessarily saying much because okay. the hospital does I, things. I'm wondering, was it a natural pregnancy or was yep. it IVF? Okay, Say more about that, Beth. Well, <laughs> I have some theories about... IVF and sometimes that I feel like um, there's more hesitance for the body to do a natural thing when it comes to labor because we you and I also had another set of twins that was an IVF set of twins where she didn't go into labor and so I'm just thinking now I've had about so, I've had so many <laughs> I can't. IVF twins. IVF oh, twins. Oh, yeah. You know, I can't. I just unfortunately, without looking at the at the my birth mm-hmm. list, right? I can't remember who's IVF, who's not IVF, because right. I don't really, I don't consider that to be a, a valid thing that I need to know during their pregnancy. I've mm-hmm. just, in my experience, have seen that sometimes IVF gals don't go into labor without some coaxing, maybe. Or I have a question for you about that. Do you do you talk to them about that in their in their prenatal care, or do you keep it to yourself? I keep it to myself. I do too. Yeah, because I don't want. <laughs> but to if they're listening I don't, to this podcast, yeah. I, I don't want to put that on them. Me but neither. that's just because yeah. I think every woman has or birthing person has the opportunity to yeah. have the chance at the birth that they want. And if yeah. that's an out of hospital birth. I'm, right, and we and I'm they're here only, to go, do it. I'm up for it. They're yeah. only anecdotes. It's not like all people right. do this. It's not like. 
you know, Definitely you just mentioned not. your grandmother. That's an anecdote that you remember. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, so some things are, it's important not to plant these seeds of, uh, yeah, I'd keep it to myself. Doubt in yeah. people. Yeah. And I, and, and interesting, I did ask her if she was born by cesarean or born vaginally, according to the Michelle O'Dot theory. Mm-hmm. I like and? it. And she had, a, she was born vaginally. I just think that we really don't, when we get to these women who like don't go into labor, I'm quoting air quotes, um, by 42 weeks, you know, I've always been a little skeptical anyways, because in Oregon, 43 weeks is the norm. Yep. And when I look at the free birth um, chat groups where there's no provider and no no parameters, there's women who go to 44. (coughs) So... You know, I think that this, it's, I think it is more about what you were saying, which is, you know, the cultural norm, the standard care, the pressure of, of practicing in, within the standards and not being too far outside the standards that is affecting a lot more of our, of like what we consider normal than what actually is physio- physiologically right. and, normal. And let's, and let's talk, let's talk about, you know, you know, the sta- those standards and why, why it is that if you if you read any sort of academic paper about twins, okay, that they recommend that twins be delivered by thirty seven or thirty eight weeks, mono die twins even thirty six or thirty seven weeks, and maybe die die thirty seven to thirty eight, and I really, the only thing I can find is that there's a rising relative risk of stillbirth, which is true for singletons as well. Right. And there's no data that I can find that goes beyond 40 weeks because I don't think anybody ever lets twins go beyond 40 weeks anymore. Except you. And, I think and Shavira I, might. <laughs> and yeah. If you, if you, there, I mean, look, at, I'm not the only guy that does that, but they're probably the only guy that openly admits to doing it. Mm-hmm. There, are, there may be other doctors who, who go out on a limb for their client. I, I have no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. So let me, give, let me give you some numbers here because okay. I, I, did, uh, I did bring... Um, my brain into this because I always wondered sort of like with the vaccine thing and giving, giving Tdap vaccine. We talked about that to a, a pregnant woman that's never been tested in pregnant women. And what's the risk of your baby dying from whooping cough in the first year of life. And we've gone through that on the podcast before. So my brain was, well, everybody's nervous about going beyond 37 or 38 weeks. So what is the thing that they're nervous about? So I actually did a lot of research and I only found one really good paper that actually played it out in, in graphs going from about 32 weeks all the way to 40 weeks. Didn't go beyond 40 weeks. They didn't have any data for that. Of course not. Um, <laughs> but in women with twins who don't have growth restriction, hypertension, or diabetes, which is most twins at this point, if they, I mean, it certainly was this client, um, the, risk of, the risk of a stillbirth, according to this thing, at about 35 to 36 weeks was about um, 7 per 10,000. Okay, and the risk at forty weeks was about sixty-seven per ten thousand. So it's about a nine-fold increase mm-hmm. in risk going from thirty-five weeks all the way up to um, forty Funny. weeks. It was about seventeen per ten thousand at forty at thirty-seven weeks. So that and then it started to climb from that. But even at forty weeks, sixty-seven per ten thousand is only point. Six I was gonna percent. Say, I was gonna say as soon as you say point, that's all you need to say for me. <laughs> if it's the point first, and then I'm I'm good. Well, with it's that six. Risk. It's six. It's six point seven per thousand. Yeah. Which is point. So it, in other words, it's a ninety ninety 
99.33% chance it won't happen. Right. 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 Yeah. So and I, yet, and yet, that we interview, uh, we intervene on twins, and again, stillbirth, as we've talked about in other podcasts, and even I talked about this in New Jersey, tends to be the only neonatal death tends to be the only endpoint that seems to matter to researchers. Mm, All right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. nothing else matters. The psychology for the mother, the long-term microbiome, the the future pregnancies, none of this stuff comes into the counseling, the equation. It's all about. You know, a live baby. Now, obviously, a live baby is paramount importance, but it's not the only importance. And when you're talking about something that's less than 1%, even at 40 weeks, then whose decision is it? And this is where we always get back to the, the easy answer. You know what we don't talk a lot about, though? And I now I have backup. Uh, backgammon? <laughs> no, yeah, we don't. You're we right. don't talk a lot about backgammon. Cigar smoking? <laughs> All right. There's a lot of things we don't talk about. Right. Um the patriarchy. Yes. You know? It's a, like, word, it's a word that I, I, I used in one of my posts this week. Good for you. Yeah. I love when we rub off I was responding. <laughs> I was responding to somebody who said something, and I said that that ultimately comes down to, the, to patriarchy. Yeah. So the, the baby being alive and the mom having like very little influence over what's important in these decisions, to me... You know, is is what women have been fighting for in terms of their rights for their body autonomy for a very long time. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I think you know, I I think that the, it's just the like the programming. Yeah, that is that is taking a long time for us to unwind. That we have we build the babies we we have the innate wisdom we're the ones who are connected and we're the ones who ultimately should be making the decisions for our family and you know it's all important and it's yeah, all and, interconnected and and the and the current recommendation for mono die twins is to begin you know testing well first of all have serial testing through the pregnancy because of the risk of uh, twin twin transfusion syndrome yeah i mean and that's a real consideration you know when right. you, yeah, yeah and even though a very wise person told me that if you don't see it by 28 weeks, it's very unlikely to happen. We've already discussed on the podcast that despite that, it does happen. And even in my twin um, talk that I give, uh, I found data that says that it, it can happen at any time in a monodiet twin. But this woman uh, chose actually to skip a lot of her testing mm-hmm. and a lot of her serial growth scans and uh, with inform, informed consent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, ultimately in my own gut, it makes me uncomfortable. But then, of course, as we know, it's not always about me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> They're both looking at me. Every once in a while. Yeah. No. <laughs> the podcast is mine, but, but the rest of it isn't, isn't mine. It is. It's yours. But uh, so, you, you, so she chose not to do these things. And she said, listen, I feel they're fine. I'm going to trust prayer. Okay. And that's what I'm going to do. And then mm-hmm. she, but then she was compliant in the last week or so. But it just got to a point where these babies are really big. She's not, her cervix is unfavorable. Uh, are we are we waiting for some shoe to fall before she goes into labor? And this is the question. And so we came to a conclusion that we, and about four or five days ago, we said, okay, so you make it. Dr. Javira is in Madison. He'll be back Monday night. Tuesday, he's working a shift at another hospital, so he's not available till Wednesday. So this gives you three three more days to go into labor. And so okay. she put her mind at ease. We had a plan. We, you know, we, we, I don't think it's, I don't think that she's holding back. Some people say, well, she's nervous or she's scared and then maybe, 
But I, I mean, nervous and scared people go into labor all the time. So right. I don't think that that was the, the reason. And mm -hmm. I just think, so, you know, so she's uh, being induced today. Uh, and I'm going to hope that it uh, goes well. Both uh, Baby B has been uh, playing games with us, but today it was head down again. So it's vertex, vertex. So you said nine and seven? That was the estimated weight weight by the ultrasound person who tested the babies for biophysical on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. So we know baby B is smaller. Yeah, but still normal size. Yeah, right. Very much so. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it's more than 20% discordant, according to that ultrasound. Mm -hmm. So should we intervene because it's more than 20% discordant? No, because they both had biophysical profiles of eight out of eight. And then on Monday, they had NSTs, which were fine. No, but I think it's interesting out of everything that, well, I'm sorry. I was going to say every, everything you said, that's the most interesting, but everything you said was interesting. Um, but Well, no, there has to be something that's most interesting. I think from my perspective of like, why is she not going into labor and that whole conversation, now you're saying that baby B is being monitored in the hospital and is like having some issues no right? no 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 oh, no. i thought that's what you no, said no i meant no. the baby b's been flipping positions ah sorry okay. sorry mi that's miscommunication okay. that's Miscommun okay. it was because it was breach on saturday yeah and it was vertex the week before when i saw her which doesn't really matter though right no, for not, you not to chavira not yeah. to me and to you right, right. good right well and, and a's been head down the whole time maybe by the time we're done recording these podcasts we'll have an answer no nah. <laughs> no, probably but, not no but the Foley balloon did fall out oh well so that's, that's good. good good progress mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's great I'm just so grateful for Dr. Chavira that we are so lucky here to have him to collaborate with us in times like this mm -hmm. and other times we're so lucky and he's amazing and yeah and we, had, we, had, we, we had him on the podcast uh, about another set of twins and he, the title of the podcast was A Calm and Confident OB, and that's what he is. Yeah. And uh, it is. This is what collaboration should look like. And the truth is, is that that because we have Chavira as an option, this is something that I can present to a, a woman who, if she didn't have Chavira as an option, would probably still be home, mm -hmm, waiting, right. waiting, and maybe things would go great, and maybe they wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. But that's true. That's always, always true. No, but but at least there's choices here. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. most most parts of the country don't have yeah. the same sort of choices. Yeah. Right. So kudos to him. Yes. And to you. And to me. And Thank to you. you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's a tale of of like two sets of twins. Obviously one's a prime hip and one's a multip. And the truth is as I've said as I said in the in the um, conference in in New Jersey, which I'd like to go over a little bit in a second is is that the, they really should be considered different categories. They should not be, when you do papers on pregnant women, they really need to divide them up like, like we did with our breach paper. You need to divide them up by, by primate versus multip because multips are, without being offensive or anything, they're a different species. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's totally different. Yeah, they are. It's, mm -hmm. it's completely Situation. different. Situation. Yeah. yeah you have to, the success yeah. rate for multips, <laughs> different for me, since I've been keeping data, I've had one twin multip out of, I think, 63 sets of twins. Well, oh, no, uh, I mean, maybe about 30 multiple sets of twins. And I've had zero breach multips not deliver vaginally. Just one. Wow. So 97, 98% success rate with multips. Whereas my twin success rate for primips is only a little over 60%. Hmm. And with breaches, it's 80%. So... It's just completely different. Yep. Yeah. So. Those are great stats, though. 
I think. Yeah, we, I, I think I, I'm, I, I already mentioned it to Rick Safries uh, that at some point in the next year, um, I probably will try to get twin, my twin data published like I did my breach data a year ago. It took so long to do that, remember? <laughs> well, it took a year to get somebody to uh, actually publish. I think the yeah. people that published our last one will now publish our It'll be easy. One. Yeah. That's good. Got your foot in the door. Yeah, yeah. yeah they'll probably do it. So I want to celebrate a little bit. Oh, yay. What okay. are we celebrating? The fact that the VBAC ban got... Oh, got oh yeah. Yes. Good, good point. That was, that was on my uh, my list. So yeah. let's tell, tell us, tell people who are listening who, who in other states uh, or Australia... Um, what that what was happening here in SoCal? I think we might have talked about we it. We did. To, we right? did mention that it, it that was, was going to happen. Yeah. So um, a few years ago in California, I mean, our laws, as you as you've probably heard us talk about, like the vaccine laws have become more and more restrictive here in California. And so, but with our midwifery licensure, um, that became what year was that? Do you remember? Twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. So that's when um, we they took off our law that we don't have to have supervision from an obstetrician, but they restricted us in terms of not being able to deliver breaches and twins and putting parameters on um, when they considered it to be low risk of uh, normal between 37 and 42 weeks. So that's when all of that happened. And um, we've all been kind of worried that VBAC would get lumped in at one point. Although you said you were well, there. Yeah, I went to the meeting in Sacramento in 2013 when they were discussing this mm -hmm. whole thing. And and even though the uh, District 9 ACOG representative and the maternal fetal medicine person he brought along with him had had tried to say that that if they're going to do VBACs, they, they want the physician consultation for any home VBAC. And I refuted that by saying, I asked him, well, you know, is VBAC, I mean, is ruptured uterus is rare? They go, yeah. And is, is it predictable? And they go, no. So then uh, how is a consult with a physician at 16 weeks? Are you just saying, are you saying that midwives can't consent a woman without, you know. In, informed consent. Yeah, right? can't yeah. give them informed consent mm -hmm. that a physician needs to do that. And anyway, and then the guy interrupted from the board and said, you know, we're not even going to discuss this because midwives are going to get VBAC. And that's, and that's what they said back in 2013. Which we did. Right in, in our law, in our law, we were able to get it. Because physician then, consultation is useless because there's, there's, you know, anybody can go through the risk factors and stuff like that. But even a woman who's had two C sections or whatever, ACOG, all all ACOG guidelines suggest that that's reasonable. They just don't like home home birthing, but that mm -hmm. there's that's level C evidence because there's no data on it. They don't like home birthing for anybody. So, right. <laughs> so they're <laughs> not gonna, they're not going to like it for VBAC because right. well, that would be stupid. Yeah. So yeah. So go. So they, do you know how it came up? The the one on Thursday, the hearing on Thursday? I'm not exactly sure. I yeah. think it was just kind of slid into the agenda mm -hmm. is what my understanding was from some of the emails and uh, information from Calm. Yeah. Um, so it was on the agenda to decide whether or not we licensed midwives um, were going to be able to take care of VBACs out of the hospital. And obviously, that's the only place we practice. So we wouldn't have been able to take care of VBACs at all. And I don't know about you, but they're some of my favorite, favorite clients. Oh, me too. Yeah. They're so great. Yeah. And they're a decent percentage of your clientele too, mm -hmm. aren't they? Uh, for so, me yep. especially. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. A lot. Many. So Because they didn't mm -hmm. have a good experience with their first baby and, and they wanted to try something different. Yeah. And I think I even mentioned it on one of my recent posts. It's like I've had clients who really actually 
they didn't really want a home birth. That wasn't their first choice, but they felt like it was the best option that they had in terms of statistics and in terms of respect and in terms of patience and all, all of those things that they knew was going to really help them have a VBAC. And that was their number one agenda, not to have a home birth, but to, you know, figure out what, what is the best way to have a VBAC. Um, so, yeah, I, so it was voted down 2 to 11, right? which is great. I was it nervous. Was a, I for was a nervous too. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Does anybody know the details of the vote? Like, uh, who are the eleven people? Who are the thirteen people that voted? I do not know. And if it was so the, overwhelmingly the, not popular, why did it even get slipped into the agenda? How did that happen? We don't know that. Well, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, there was a pretty significant mobilization of people showing yay. up and, and email lots sent. of emails and mm-hmm. calls to representatives. And yeah, mm-hmm. well, I was pleased to. Hear, I was I was out of town, but I heard I heard through the grapevine that that happened and. I'm very pleased with that because I tell you that usually these things are, are sort of a done deal and that, that the public hearings are just show, are for show only. Well, I, because of what, I, what I've seen happen with the vaccination laws here and that, you know, they just like I'm shocked when they, they did happen in the past. And now I've kind of just gotten used to like if this comes up for a vote, it's very likely that we're going to be restricted. So I'm, I was just. Yeah, I mean, elated. I might have told this story before, but I learned this in eighth grade civics class. Um, I might have told the story, but in part of civic class, we had to go to a city council meeting, which was great. Yeah, you it was did. In eighth grade, so I told mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So anyway, mm-hmm. the, I went to the city council meeting. They were just debating curbs on this street that's about you know a mile from my home, and everyone on the block came in, had their thirty seconds at the microphone, saying we don't want new curbs. And to make a long story short, they ended the open session with the mic. They took a vote five to nothing for new curbs. So <laughs> this is just how. You know, Beth, Beth is making it like a shocked <laughs> face right now. Don't be shocked. So I just want to make a cautious warning that, mm-hmm. that this VBAC thing mm. will come up again next oh, year. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's It will. Well, I'm going to celebrate now. Yeah. Because I'm going to keep my feet where my head is. Potty, potty. My head where my feet is. <laughs> <laughs> Your feet. <laughs> like yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's, that's a bit of good news. Yeah. That is great. And I, I, I don't know much about the Madison Breach Conference because I wasn't there and Beth wasn't there and... Uh, I saw but lots I, of great pictures. But I loved your post oh, that you posted. You said something about the fact that because you worked so closely with me and you've been to so many breaches, but tell, tell, tell us about it. So, and then, yeah, go ahead. Um, I think it was Jennifer Block wrote a post about just about the conference. And Jennifer and Block is? She is a writer and author. Writer and yeah, author, author and for women's that rights and advocates for choice and mm-hmm. all of this. So she she was there and she was um, just talking about how great it was at the conference. And I just said, oh, I wish I was there. And, you know, as a midwife that's worked for the last decade with Dr. Fishbein, I have witnessed dozens of vaginal breech births. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I know how to, I know how, to, what to do if... I need to do something in that case. Now, of course, it's illegal in California for me to go to them without stew, but that's <laughs> besides the point. Um, and I just think that I'm just so happy that there's so many people advocating for reteaching breach and keeping the skills alive. I mean, just last month, I had a client here that was a client of mine and she moved to Colorado and she moved to Colorado and guess what? Her, her or not Colorado, uh, Connecticut. Her baby turned breech. Mm. And so 
here I am weaving through the underground of trying to help this woman from here. Mm. And it's really hard. It's really hard to find providers that will attend breech birth. And it is literally an underground of people saying, well, you know, try this person. But, you know, know, maybe try this person, too. Midwives? They're probably midwife doctors too but it, it was literally this weave weaving through this underground of trying to find people that would help her and yep. luckily her version did work and she had a beautiful vaginal birth so it's illegal there too is what you're saying for midwives i don't know the legalities mm-hmm. but just because I, I wasn't actually concerned about that piece i would just wanted to find somebody because this is her first baby she wants more children she wants to avoid a primary c-section right if possible right and she moved from here where she could have had the team you know she was like oh my gosh like right. this whole thing was just right too much almost too much but mm-hmm. i um she spoke with david hayes and he was going to be kind of near there and so I got her some resources, and luckily her version did work. But, you know, the it, skill is dying out, and that is unfortunate. Yeah. And and the, the only one with intellectual curiosity at this point are midwives. Right, which is just kills me. Because here's Bliss and I, two people that have been to dozens of breech births with you, that we have some a skill set here, and we're not even allowed to do anything. Legally. No, and when you try to teach breach conferences, um, generally 90 to 100% of the attendees are, mid- are midwives. Um, well, that was one of the things that I thought was so great about the pictures that I saw from this is that there were a, a handful of men in the room. Again, men that are preaching to the choir, you know. But um, And then also that this conference was held... You were trying to get it held at an academic institution, yeah, well, and they you, wouldn't do it. Yeah, they wouldn't do it. The, the, the chairman of the department at Ma- uh, University of Wisconsin, Madison. Drives me crazy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the only people that bias. are doing volumes of breach deliveries now are midwives, but the, God forbid a midwife should be teaching doctors anything. Right, right, right. That's, right. I think that academia thinks that way. It's a very paternalistic Mm-hmm. point of view even though the chairman of the department is a woman paternalism isn't something that has to be done by men it's a, just a way of behaving and acting right yes right yes good hey before we move on to another subject we, we're running out of time so what, i want yeah. i would like for you to read the the letter that we got because it's about breach yeah, okay. and there was a question in there so since we're talking okay. about let's see if i can find it about breaches. pig pile here <laughs> uh let's see going through oh, here we go you want to read it? Sure. Here it is. Yeah. All right. This is from Vanessa Young Miller, and she says, Hi, Dr. Sue and Bliss and Beth. Um, <laughs> I am a huge fan of the podcast, and I have learned so much from it as a doula. I listened to it regularly during my last pregnancy. Third baby arrived this past Friday, and I'm wondering now if my baby was inspired. Your podcast helped me and my husband. Um, get my husband on board for a home birth. But ultimately, when labor struck, we followed our midwife to the birth center. Likely meant to be a mid- the midwife trained in breech birth happened to be there too. And when I felt the first fetal ejection reflex kick in, we were greeted with a butt first by surprise. Thanks to listening to your podcast, I knew it meant I needed to get out of the pool and onto the bed on hands and knees. Mm. 
Great. <laughs> the, you could have been in the water, but yes, hands and knees is great. Um, the breech midwife assisted using a towel around his body as I pushed his head out, and I was curious what that assist is and its purpose in breech delivery. Um, he did have an initial low apgar, but after some stimulation and me talking to him, he took his... He took a breath and got color. All this to say, I'm very grateful for all I've learned from the podcast and that this birth for me was just a variation of normal. Yay. Um, thank you both for offering that space for birthing people and having a breech vaginal birth is if they want, if that's what they want. And as, uh, as I know, it's very possible, possible and powerful. Signed. I already said that. Vanessa Young Miller. Oh, you did say that. Uh-huh, I, did, in the I beginning. missed that part. Um, let's talk about the towel. Uh, in all fours, I'm not exactly sure what they were using the towel for. Do you, Beth? Just to support the baby, I'm, a th- I'm well, assuming. I mean, I would not have done it. I would have yeah, generally in all, fo- all fours, you just sort of let the baby having, hang. You know, tummy tucks. Uh, and, let, and let gravity do its yeah. thing. Yeah. So I think that there was a time when it was being taught that um, that the baby is going to get cold. And they, they were oh. using towels and, and trying to um, to not lose cover heat. the cord. I think that was also one of those things. So I think it's kind of an antiquated thing that we've learned a little bit more about more hands off. Okay. Right. And maybe rotation. Maybe maybe she felt like she needed to rotate yeah. with the towel because yeah. it's slippery. Although although yeah, if you're going to do it for rotation, yes. Sometimes putting a towel on for slipperiness is mm-hmm. one thing. Mm-hmm. Didn't sound like that that was the case, but um, yeah. Otherwise, you really want to keep your hands off if possible. It really depends. The baby will tell you. That one of the things that about breech delivery that's just so fascinating is that, is that because you can see the baby coming out, all the body parts coming out first, the baby tells you if it's in a position that needs help or doesn't need help. Mm-hmm. And so you know right away. Um, you want to remind us what that is? Well, they, turn, they, don't, they don't rotate to the tum to bum. Mm-hmm. So they stay sideways. They stay what's called sacrum transverse. When it's not going When it's correctly. not going right. Mm-hmm. And... And uh, you know when you have a when you have a head down baby, the head begins to come out. You don't know if the shoulder you're going to have a shoulder dystocia or not. Mm-hmm. Right. But with a breech baby, if it doesn't rotate, you know you got an arm that's going to get mm-hmm. hung up on the pubic bone or something like that, and you got to got to rotate the baby to, and sweep the arm down and get it out of the way. Yeah. So uh, I don't know about the towel, but I do know that the one minute apgar being low is is normal is, is one of the few consensus things that all breech uh, practitioners agree upon. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So there you go. Great. And again, uh, first time moms out of the water. I'm a big fan of being on land for that. But, uh, you know, obviously if you're real comfortable doing water births, that's fine. I just find that sometimes manipulation is more necessary in a first time mom. And I prefer to have people on land. I did have a, I'll just mention real quickly, uh, the same time we, we transported uh, to Dr. Brock, uh, the patient who risked out of care. Uh, we had a, a woman with a high BMI who was having her first baby up in Lancaster, which is another schlep for me, <laughs> the opposite direction. <laughs> high uh, desert. The high desert, yeah, near Edwards Air Force Base, if you want people to want to look it up. Um, who ended up having a very nice four and a half to five hour labor and delivering a nine pound, two ounce breech baby. Feet popped out first, the baby was complete breech, and out with the feet came the cord. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I've recently learned more about uh, from Rick Safriz's research is that it's very rare for a complete breech baby with a cord prolapse to get into trouble. It's a frank breech baby with a cord prolapse that gets into trouble because the body and the legs 
can compress the cord. Whereas when you have a complete breach and the legs pop out, the cord isn't getting compressed. compressed. Mm-hmm. So you rarely have NICU admissions or, or problems when you have... But I still saw the cord come out, so I, I got her out of the water. And I got her onto bed with all fours. And mm-hmm. she, the came, baby came out with less than a minute. It was just It was, it was almost like she'd had babies before. Mm. And it was great. It was great. And, and uh, this is a woman who wants a lot of kids. She's only like 22 years old. She wants a lot of kids. She's overweight. A C-section on her would not have been ideal. Yeah, and she had right. a really easy breech birth. Yay. So that was good. That is that's great. So the uh, last thing we do before we run out of time, it's I, I, uh, oh, I got to read. I just have to read. Uh, <laughs> I, I, somebody sent me this, and I just wish I could remember who sent me this. It was just a text that they, they sent me, and it just says, I won't say the doctor's name because I don't know where this came from, but there's a doc, FYI, doctor so-and-so told me, told my client it would be best if she went into labor this week before her placenta stops working. Mm-hmm. She's not even forty weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. She, How much and the, fear? And the 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 question she asked is Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> do you do you get sick of the hearing? Do you ever get sick of hearing this stuff? Yes. And I said, right. I said the ACOG placenta stops working guideline was just published. I forgot to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, don't I was know. actually laughing at how large the font yeah, is. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, I just try to fit it to one page. So, because, you know, I was got to print a page anyway. You might as well Fill it make up. it readable. That's right. Because I know how hard we have sometimes reading stuff. This is true. We're getting older. All right. So I just want to end the podcast by shouting out to uh, Lisa and Warren Letterer from the Midwives of New Jersey. They were unbelievably great hosts uh, for the single day symposium on uh, on physiologic birth, and uh, the title of the conference was "In Defense of Normal Birth." And I got to speak, and Kristen Pescucci was the uh, keynote speaker, and she is uh, from Birth Monopoly. Everybody probably knows her by now. Mm-hmm. She's working on her movie uh, called "Mother May I." And now I'm excited. And uh, yeah, she's going to need a little more fundraising, by the way. So. If people can go to um, Birth Monopoly or MotherMayI.com and look it up, and because they need to raise about another twenty grand, mm. and if anyone wants to contribute to it, um, that would be really a nice gesture at the end of the year. Uh, <laughs> it is a five hundred one c three thing, so I think you get a tax deduction for that. And she spoke on, of course, obstetric violence, and she talked about a, a couple of the cases that that she'd been involved with, and it was really great. She spoke from the heart. She didn't use a PowerPoint. I mean, I had my PowerPoint presentation and so did uh, Diana Snyder who is a uh, doula and an attorney who spoke about rights and uh, about trying to work within the system and make th- and make it better better communication better things and how to resolve we didn't just point out problems both of us uh, all three of us try to talk about solutions as well as to how to make things better maybe I'll do a little bit more on that on another on another podcast time okay. but it was great it was well attended uh, about 140 people there and I have to tell you that it was a thrill to um, go fly daytime into Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have ever flown into Newark. Mm-hmm. But as you look out the yeah. left side of your airplane, as you come into landing, you, you're flying right alongside Manhattan. Yeah. Oh, nice. And it's just, you know, when you live on the West Coast or in the, mid, in the heartland, you don't, you forget how, like, awesome. I mean, awesome is a word that we probably use too much. But this is it's awesome seeing that you're seeing the Empire State Building, you're seeing all the tall buildings, and then there's the Freedom Tower, you know, the, the yeah. big tower standing there, and then there's the Statue of Liberty, right, and right, yeah, right there, it's, it's so right beautiful. there, yeah. uh, uh, just off the side of the airport, and it's just a it's just a fantastic thing, and, and New Jersey's a beautiful state. 
Yes, um, it is. Except, you know, parts of Newark, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great. And I wanted to just a shout out to Kristen and a shout out to Diana. And I did uh, make a post on Instagram. People can kind of see a little bit about it. And uh, maybe next year, if you're on the East Coast, you should look into the new, uh, Midwives of New Jersey. There's symposiums every year because last year, Neil Shaw was the, the keynote speaker. Uh, from Harvard, and uh, they do a really great job of putting together the the uh, the catering, the, the accommodations. It was just it's a really a first class. Oh, nice! Thing. So shout out to them, and I'm going to try to get somebody on the podcast soon who was at the Madison Breach Conference. The only one that's out here would be Chavira. So well, he can come back. We'll get we him love back him. On. Yeah. So anyway, so this has been Doctor Stu's podcast number 160 with guest. Beth Cannon. And, yeah, well, I know your name. Okay. <laughs> what is your name again? And, and my co-host, Bliss Young, the mysterious one. And, you know, as I always say at this time, we know that there are a ton of podcasts on your podcast app and your days are full. And most of you don't drive as much as we do, so you don't have as much time to listen to podcasts. So we're always thrilled that you listen to ours. And we look forward to having you uh, send comments and reviews. Please. Where do they share. put the reviews on? Um, on iTunes, you can review the, the podcast. Yeah. Uh-oh. The music's over. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye-bye.